from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey guys, the show's currently on break until the new year, but we've got plenty of classic episodes to tide you over. Enjoy this trip through the show's own history, and I'll see you back here on January 2nd with a batch of brand new episodes. See you then. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy B. Wilson and it's December 3rd. The trial of Kenya's Kapinguria 6 began on this day in 1952. These were six political activists who were arrested under the grounds that they were members of the Mau Mau political movement against British colonial rule in Kenya. Britain's colonial involvement in Kenya went back to 1895, when that part of Africa became part of Britain's East African protectorate. This was during Europe's scramble for Africa, when basically Europe divided up as much of Africa as possible amongst themselves without asking any Africans about it. In 1920, Britain formally declared that Kenya was a crown colony. So all of this placed Kenya under a white minority government, and that led to widespread poverty and racism and oppression. And resistance to colonial rule started almost immediately. The East Africa Association formed in 1921, the year after Britain formally declared that Kenya was a crown colony. A man named Jomo Kenyatta, who was one of the Kapinguria Six, was involved almost from the start of this. He joined the East Africa Association in 1922. He continued to work with a series of independence organizations as they disbanded and reformed and started over with new groups over the next several years. Sometimes these were because of internal changes. Sometimes it was because Britain had outlawed a particular organization and they had to start over. He also traveled through Europe and studied in England. 
A lot of these first organizations were focused on some constitutional reforms, but as time passed with seemingly no progress being made, many younger and more radical members started to splinter off, and the Mau Mau movement was formed in 1942. It was formed when four Kenyan tribes came together and took an oath to secretly fight against British rule. This was a militant movement. It advocated violent resistance to the British rule of Kenya, and their tactics included sabotage and assassination. So by the 1950s, the British government had outlawed the movement. But that didn't make the movement disappear, and 1952 saw the Mau Mau uprising. That led to a massive military engagement between the British Army and members of the movement. The Mau Mau faced devastating losses, and members were imprisoned during this time. They reported horrifying conditions, including torture and abuse. In October of 1952, following that uprising, Kenyatta and five other leaders were arrested on the grounds that they had been directing this outlawed movement, and hundreds of other people had been arrested as well. At the time, Kenyatta was actually leading the Kenyan-African Union. They were all taken to Kapanguria because it was a very remote uh, location that authorities thought would be secure enough that the other members of the Maba movement couldn't break them out. These six men were placed on trial from December 1952 until April 1953. Although the British colonial government was approaching this as a criminal matter, to a lot of the rest of the world, it really looked like a political trial. They were all found guilty. They were sentenced to seven years in prison with hard labor. Over the next decade, the British colonial government gradually started shifting Kenya toward rule by its African majority rather than having a white minority government. Kenyatta was released from prison in 1961, and then he became one of the negotiators in a conference in London in 1962. That conference ultimately led to Kenya's independence from Britain. A political party called the Kenya African National Union won the first election, which had actually taken place before independence while Kenyatta was still in prison. Uh, He had been elected the first party president, even though he was still imprisoned at the time. Then after Kenya formally became independent on December 12, 1963, Kenyatta became its first prime minister and later became Kenya's first president. In 2013, it was announced that Kenyans who had been tortured by colonial forces during the Mamao uprising would receive payouts totaling 20 million pounds. Thanks to Christopher Hasiotis for his research work on today's show and to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on this podcast. You can subscribe to the Stay in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Tune in tomorrow for The Birth of a Poet. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. 
time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Hello again, I'm Eves, and you're listening to This Day in History Class, a show where we drop history knowledge every single day. The day was December 3rd, 1854. Gold miners seeking reforms in Ballarat, Victoria, Australia, rebelled against the colonial government. The conflict led to the Battle of the Eureka Stockade, which resulted in the death of at least 28 people. The Victorian gold rush began in Australia in 1851. It brought people seeking fortunes from all over Australia and the world. As people flocked to the area and the colonial government struggled to find the money to support them, New South Wales Governor Charles Fitzroy and Victoria's Lieutenant Governor Charles Latrobe imposed a license fee of 30 shillings a month on miners. That was a hefty fee for miners, especially when surface gold started to dwindle and gold production per person was decreasing. Miners expressed their concerns to Latrobe, but not much was done about the miners' protests. Police set out on license hunts to find miners who did not pay their fees, and miners claimed that police were exploiting them by extorting money, beating people up, taking bribes, and locking people up without due process. Many people were unhappy with the way the police handled crimes on the gold fields, claiming police and government officials had to be bribed. Adding insult to injury was the fact that miners could not vote or own the land that they were working on. In October of 1854, a Scottish miner named James Scobie was killed in a conflict at the Eureka Hotel in Ballarat. J.F. Bentley, the proprietor, was pegged as the murderer. When Bentley was exonerated, miners felt it was an injustice. A group of people gathered to protest the decision, but a mob of miners ended up burning down the hotel. The police arrested them. An organization called the Ballarat Reform League formed in response to the government's inaction on people's demands. It organized a meeting in Ballarat on November 11, 1854. The League advocated for negotiations on the Bentley decision as well as the people arrested because of the fire, for abandonment of the gold licensing system, for removal of the gold commissioners, and for a better policing and justice system. 
but their grievances were dismissed, and more soldiers were sent to the gold fields to back up the police and soldiers already present. Dissenting miners held another mass meeting, elected Peter Lawler as their leader, and flew the Eureka flag. They swore to fight together to defend their rights and liberties. And they built a stockade at Eureka, performing military drills to prepare for any conflict. Robert Reed, commissioner of the Ballarat Goldfields, ordered the police and army to destroy the stockade on December 3rd. Before dawn that day, troops stormed the stockade. Miners fell quickly against the well-armed force. At least 22 diggers and six soldiers died. Police detained around 113 miners, and 13 were eventually taken to Melbourne for trial. All of the miners accused of treason were acquitted. Within months, a royal commission recommended removing the license fee and adding an export duty and an annual miner's right. The number of police on the gold fields was cut significantly, and a warden replaced the gold commissioners. Twelve new members were also added to the Victorian Legislative Council, with four appointed by the Queen and eight elected by diggers who had a miner's right. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can do so at T-D-I-H-C podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Or if you would prefer to email us, you can send us a message at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for listening. I hope to see you here again tomorrow. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. 
Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that shines a light on the ups and downs of everyday history. I'm Gabe Luzier, and in this episode, we're reflecting on a day when poor planning turned what should have been a fun event into a full-blown tragedy. The day was December 3rd, 1979. At a concert for the British rock band The Who, 11 people were crushed to death by a crowd of overeager fans trying to get inside Cincinnati's Riverfront Coliseum. The deadly incident was precipitated by the venue's general admission ticketing policy, known as festival seating. Under this system, the vast majority of seats were first-come, first-served. This led to a desperate scramble to claim the best unreserved seats, and in the ensuing chaos, 11 fans lost their lives, and many more were injured. According to the contract between the venue and the band, the majority of tickets had to be made available as general admission. The sales receipts for the Ohio concert show that nearly 15,000 general admission tickets were sold for $10 each. On the other hand, only about 3,500 tickets had been sold as reserved seating. The difference in cost was just $1, and many concertgoers would have surely paid the extra buck to avoid standing in a crowd for hours before the doors even opened. Festival seating was so unpopular that many other venues in the U.S. had already abandoned it by the late 1970s. The Riverfront Coliseum was one of the few holdouts. Remarkably, management had kept the system in place even though they had already witnessed the dangerous conditions it could create. Two years before the Who concert, the venue had hosted a show by Led Zeppelin, with most of the tickets sold being festival seating. As expected, a large crowd began to form several hours before showtime, and eventually it turned violent. In the end, dozens of fans were injured that day, and 60 people were arrested. The Coliseum should have taken notice and done away with festival seating just as their peers had done, but they didn't. The Who concert on December 3rd, 1979, was scheduled to start at 8 p.m., with doors opening about an hour before that. However, since they weren't able to reserve good seats, general admission ticket holders had begun to gather outside the venue as early as noon. By 3 p.m., the crowd had grown so large that the police were called in to keep order in the Coliseum's plaza. It was a cold winter day in Cincinnati, and as the hours dragged on and the temperature dropped, the freezing crowd grew restless. At around 6.15, people at the back of the crowd began to push forward. This forced the people in front of them to do the same, and on and on until the people at the front of the crowd were finally pushed up against the locked glass doors at the Coliseum's west gate. One police lieutenant suggested that the concert promoters open the doors early for the safety of the crowd. However, he was told that there wouldn't be enough ticket takers on duty until 7 p.m. As a result, the forward crush continued for over an hour and a half until the doors were finally opened at 7.05. 
According to concertgoers, only four of the 16 doors were opened, and two of those were intermittently blocked by guards. This created a bottleneck of roughly 8,000 people. At 7.20, the crowd pushed forward so powerfully that one set of glass doors shattered. Other doors were then forced open by the crowd, and people began streaming through the plaza for the next 15 minutes. Coliseum security consisted of a handful of guards with billy clubs, none of whom stuck around once things turned ugly. The police were still on the scene, but they were so outnumbered there was little they could do to stop the flow of people. At last, at about 7.45pm, the 25-man police force began to work its way into the crowd. They quickly found the first of 11 concertgoers who had died from asphyxiation. As more bodies were discovered, additional police were called to the scene, along with emergency medical services and the fire department. The Who's manager, Bill Kerbishley, told the Cincinnati fire marshal that it would be dangerous to stop the concert because the fans inside might riot. The fire marshal agreed, as did the city's mayor, so the promoters were told to go on with the show as scheduled. As for the band members, they weren't told what had happened until several hours later, after their final encore. When they left the stage, Kerbishly took them into the tuning room and told them that 11 people had just died before the show. Three days after the concert, lead singer Roger Daltrey spoke of the incident, saying, quote, Initially, we felt stunned and empty. We felt we couldn't go on, but you gotta. There's no point in stopping. In the aftermath, most people held the crowd responsible for the deaths, instead of the promoters, whose negligence had created the unsafe conditions that led to those deaths. The coroner's office echoed the idea, listing the cause of death as, quote, suffocation due to accidental mob stampede. Local TV stations followed suit, depicting the concertgoers as a drug-crazed mob. But according to survivor Mark Helmkamp, the majority of the people in the crowd weren't perpetrators of violence. They were prisoners, trapped in place by a sea of heaving bodies that compressed them on all sides. As he put it, quote, There were too many people and just two doors open. It was a slow squeeze, not a stampede. Promoters across the country recognized the role that festival seating played in the tragedy. The city of Cincinnati took their advice and quickly outlawed festival seating at all of its concert venues. That ban was eventually overturned decades later in light of improved crowd control measures. Despite a more serious approach to crowd control, deadly incidents still occur at concerts and festivals with alarming frequency. In each case, they serve as sobering reminders that there are much worse things than having a bad seat. I'm Gabe Lusier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any feedback or suggestions you'd like to share, you can also write to us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. 
Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.